Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Psalm 95. Psalm 95. I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. You can find this in your worship guide or on the screen here. Psalm 95. And if you would, stand with me as we read God's word together. This is God's word. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, And put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation. And said they are a people who go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. If you would lift your hands with me as we come to God in prayer. Lord we do ask that right now. You would. Drive your word into our hearts by your spirit and that no matter where we're at on the spiritual spectrum, we would hear your voice this morning and find ourselves leaning in and drawing near and being changed. We pray that you would help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word and that you would make this effective by the ministry of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Well, today we bring our series on the doctrine of salvation to a close. And through this entire series on the doctrine of salvation, I have, I have tried to implant in your heads a working illustration, a metaphor to help you to understand what salvation is, its architecture, how it works, and how it's related to the various parts, the various doctrines, the way they work together. And I began back in the beginning of the series by telling you a little story about when my family uh, on sabbatical this summer took a road trip out to Colorado. And we got out to Colorado and, you know, the altitude changes out there and, and we decided we were going to stay in Boulder, Colorado for a week to get acclimated to the altitude. And we were in Boulder, and the Rocky Mountains were to the west of us. And we were looking at the Rocky Mountains from Boulder, and we were impressed somewhat. I said, you know, it is, it's really cool. It's pretty. But, you know, it wasn't all I thought it was going to be. I mean, it, I mean I'm not, my mind's not blown. And through the course of that week in Boulder, I got the impression that I really understood what the Rocky Mountains were about. But at the end of that week in Boulder, we began our drive to the highest road in North America where we were going to our final destination in Colorado. 
And on that journey, we began to ascend into the Rocky Mountains. And then I began to realize something. I had no idea what the Rocky Mountains were. I thought that I got it, but I had no clue about the Rocky Mountains because it was, it was every time we turned a corner, another breathtaking made it so, and I would gasp and I would try to take pictures with my phone that made it so lame because those pictures cannot really do justice to the reality of what the Rocky Mountains are. And every scene would unfold. It would be more and more breathtaking. We would go up to one peak and then up another peak. And we were, we were just blown away by our time there. And at the beginning of our series, we said that this is exactly what salvation is like. Many people view the Christian faith from a distance, view the Christian faith in general from a distance. But many Christians view the doctrine of salvation from a distance and they think that they got it. When in reality, they're still back in Boulder. They have not ascended to explore. They have not ascended to explore. So in this final message, what I want to do is I want to recap. If you can imagine it with me, I want you to imagine that we are in that mountain range called Union with Christ. And we're looking out over the various peaks. And you'll remember that we... That we explored that mountain peak of calling, seeing how God issues an effective summons to his people. He issues this authoritative summons calling us out of the grave, just like he called Lazarus out of the grave. It didn't matter what was going on in Lazarus' mind because Lazarus was dead. Lazarus didn't decide for Jesus. Jesus decided for Lazarus. Lazarus wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for Lazarus, found him four days dead in the tomb, called his name out, and that man walked out of the grave. That's calling. We explored the mountain peak of regeneration, seeing how God, the sovereign king, imparts new life to dead people, giving new birth, a new birth that is not in our control any more than any of these little babies had any control over their own birth. They didn't decide the timing of it. They didn't decide how it was going to happen. It was out of their hands and above their heads. It was decided before they ever existed that they were going to be brought into existence in love. That's regeneration. We explored the mountain peak of repentance Seeing how God gives us the ability to see our sin for what it is. To mourn our sin, to hate our sin, and to turn from our sin and the lies that it feeds us. That it can give us life. That it can satisfy us. That it can really scratch the itch. That's repentance. We explored the mountain peak of faith. And repentance and faith are like twin peaks. And faith, in that exploration, we saw how the saving work of God leads to the reorientation of our entire life. Not just an aspect of our lives, but the entirety of our lives. The entirety of our humanity. Our minds, our wills, our emotions, our relationships, our work our play, everything about our existence is absolutely reoriented, just like it was for Father Abraham. 
God found him and completely reoriented him. And at the end of the day, he reoriented his entire life, his entire existence, because he reckoned that God was trustworthy and reliable and his promises were sturdy. That's faith. We explored the mountain peak of justification, seeing how people who are sinful can actually receive a favorable verdict. We, re we mentioned that everybody, no matter how much we pass around the no judgment doctrine, you can't judge me, you can't judge me, at the end of the day, just like everybody who was on the Oprah Winfrey show asked, how did I do? Everybody, no matter what they say, they want judgment. They just want a favorable judgment. Nobody, when, when they hear the words declared over them, you did that good. Nobody says, you can't judge me. No, we want judgment. We long for judgment. We long for the affirmation spoken over us that says, you're okay, you're acceptable, you're wanted, you're loved. But we, we mentioned that the conflict for us lies in the fact that though we need an external declaration over our lives that says you are accepted, everything within us says that nothing warrants that acceptance. So how is it that sinful people can warrant an external declaration of love over their lives? We said it's only in the gospel. It's called justification. Because God credits the righteousness of Christ to your account and he dies to death that you deserve to die so that you could be received and as loved as Jesus is. You could be as welcomed before the Father as Jesus is. You can be as treasured in the Father's eyes as Jesus is because through faith you're united with him. His righteousness becomes yours, your failures become his, and you are just in the eyes of God. That's justification. We explored the mountain peak of adoption, seeing how God's work of rescue is meant to create adoring children of a good father, not employees of a boss. That adoption reframes our entire view of who God is and what God is like. That his, his rules for you are not the rules of a boss who just wants to exact a result from you, it's the loving discipline of a father who wants to craft and shape your life into something beautiful. We don't relate to God as boss. We relate to God as father because we are adopted into his family. That's what God does in salvation. That's adoption. We explored the mountain peak of sanctification, seeing how God not only declares people to be righteous legally like a judge, but he does the work of a surgeon in us morally and ethically to refashion us and reframe us into the likeness of Christ. When God fashioned humanity in the garden, he didn't create from, a, from, a, from no template. The blueprint in his mind was always Jesus, the son of God in the flesh. That was his blueprint because he beheld him, contemplated him before the foundations of the earth. And he etched us to be like that Jesus, and we forfeited it. We forfeited our priestly calling. We forfeited our life in God. But God did not allow plan A to fail. He sent his son to bring us back. And 
all through the earthly life of Jesus, we see the moral, the ethical beauty of Christ who shows us what true humanity was always meant to be. You don't learn what humanity was meant to be unless you look at Jesus. And, and if you're going to start making determinations about anthropology and who we are supposed to be and how we're supposed to reckon our identity and how we're supposed to relate to God, you must go through him first. And when you look at Jesus, you see the beauty of the life you were meant to live. You see the service. You see the faithfulness. You see the promise keeping. You see the neighbor love. You see the enemy love. And God's work by his spirit is to make you into that likeness. And just like the sculptor steps up to the big piece of block, he chips away everything that is not Jesus. That's sanctification. We explored the mountain peak of perseverance in the book of Hebrews, remembering the urgency of persevering in the faith, not viewing the Christian faith as a little fire insurance that you can have that will get you into heaven one day. God is not handing out fire insurance. That's not what salvation is. That is a cheapening of it. That's what we call cheap grace. I want the forgiveness. Keep the transformation. I want the forgiveness. Forget the persevering through suffering and trial and hardship. No, 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 no. There's an urgency to our perseverance. But there's a certainty to our perseverance because God will see us through. He holds us in his grip, John 10, and no one can pluck us out of the Father's hands. We are kept by God, but there is nobody who was ultimately saved by God who was saved apart from their perseverance in the faith till the end. That's perseverance. We explored the mountain peak of assurance, seeing that most profound truth of the gospel. That God is for us. That God is for us. He's for us in the face of accusation. And he's for us in the face of separation. And the Apostle Paul got so excited in his discussion of it in Romans 8. That he began to riff. He began to freestyle. And said, who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It's Christ Jesus who died. More than that was raised. The resurrection is the receipt that our sin has been paid for definitively. And no accusation against us can stick. And because we know that that's the kind of God we have, no accusation against him should stick. No matter what kind of sufferings or trials or hardships or heartaches we're facing, no matter what kind of failures we have before us, no matter what kind of heaviness we are bearing, God is for us. And we must never allow the enemy of our souls to lodge complaints and accusations against him that would get us to believe that he's not for us. And even in the face of separation, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the assurance of those who are united to Christ. He will sooner forget Christ than he'll forget you when you're united to him. Your destiny is shared with Jesus. That's a, that is transforming news. That's assurance. And then we explored finally the mountain peak of glorification. 
seeing the glorious destination toward which we are headed as God's people, that he will finish the work that he started. And that work is not just the work of saving souls, because that's reductionistic. God isn't just out to save souls any more than he's out to just save fingers. He's saving you and me and us. And the reality toward which we're headed is not disembodied floating on clouds. No, we're headed for a reality that's more solid than this world. And we will feast in the house of Zion. And we will celebrate together. We will sing. It will be like the greatest collection of climaxes in this world. When you finally get that great promotion put together with that most amazing party that you've ever been to, put together with sexual intimacy, put together with the greatest affirmation you could ever get, put together with the greatest love you could ever receive, that nothing compares to what it will be like to hear him call your name and for you to step up onto the victor's box and to receive the prize. And that prize is an entirely renewed you. Not just your soul, but your body. How do we know? See Jesus, exhibit A. A real body that ate fish at breakfast. A real body that Thomas could poke around in the wounds. A real body. And that resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that not only you and I, but the entire created world will be made new. And it's not just individuals that are glorified. Remember from Philippians 3, we are glorified together. The Lord shall appear the trump shall resound, the dead in Christ will raise, and we will be caught up to meet the Lord. That's the blessed hope that transforms. That's the blessed hope that purifies us now. That's the blessed hope that backs up into our present when work feels meaningless and when relationships are stressed and challenged and broken altogether. That blessed hope is what backs up into the present and helps us to keep pressing on in faith, in hope, and in love. This is our great salvation. And we have ascended into these peaks. And we're looking out over these peaks. You see them now, right? You see these peaks. But here's the question. Now what? Now what? What do we do with this stuff? What do we do with these realities? Well... Let me return to my opening illustration. I'm going to put a bow on this, bookends, if you will. When we were riding up into those mountains in Colorado, there were places when you got to particularly spectacular vantage points where there were pull-offs. And all these people would be pulling off, and it was like the trail. You would pull off at one stop, you would go look, you would wonder, and then you would get back in your car, you would go to the next stop, you would get out, it was a never-ending series of vistas that were absolutely breathtaking. Now, here's the reality. People were taking pictures. People were testing fate, climbing up on rocks, acting a fool. I was like, get down. I do not want to watch you tumble off this mountain. But they were, they were doing lots of things. Most of it was astonishment, wonder, pointing, 
pictures, calling loved ones, FaceTiming, trying to do everything they could to bring others into this reality that they were experiencing. But nobody was standing up in that mountain range on those vistas saying, wow, I'm amazing. Nobody was thinking on their own greatness. No one was pondering their own resume. They were all overtaken by the majesty and the wonder of what they were beholding. And I guarantee you that anyone who saw these sights will never be the same. They will, they will never not remember. They cannot unsee what they saw. They can't unsee it. And in our text for this morning, that's essentially what the psalmist is saying to us. You can't unsee these things. But there are a few things that you should get straight here. First, the doctrine of salvation should lead us to worship. That's why God redeemed us, to make us a worshiping people, a people that worships aright. Before we are homo sapien, we are, we are homo adorans, which means worshiping beings. That's who we are. We are worshipers, and the doctrine of salvation should return us to that original vocation. We were created to worship. The doctrine of salvation should lead us to singing, not flaccid, half-hearted, I'll show up late singing. I'm just saying what's in the text. If, it, if the shoe fits, if it stings, grandma used to say the medicine's working. You know, after she dumped alcohol on a little wound, <laughs> it's working, it's working. Singing, worship should lead to singing because you know what singing is? We sing when speaking is not enough. When, when it can't capture all the emotional and affective content of our souls, we sing. We lift our hearts to the Lord. And that's why all the heavenly beings, they sing and they worship. The doctrine of salvation should lead us to thanksgiving. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just reading down through Psalm 95. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That imagery. It's just like the mountains, union with Christ. It's a rock. It's immovable. It's unchangeable. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Gratitude. Gratitude is a transforming virtue. And it's hard won. In an entitled world, gratitude is hard to clutch, isn't it? It's hard to lay hold of it. But we need to be present and aware to the presence of God with us now. His loving presence, because it could be his destroying presence, given what we know to be true about ourselves, given how we like to rationalize and justify ourselves. His presence with us in love is astonishing. And he's given us many good gifts, but chief of all those gifts is union with Christ. It should be gratitude. He's a great king. But you know what else should be our response to the doctrine of salvation? Skip down to verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You know what shepherds do? They protect their sheep, and they guide their sheep away from danger. 
i.e. fatherly discipline, receive it in love and obedience and humility. And finally, final response that I want to put on you quickly is the doctrine of salvation should warrant sobriety. Sobriety. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof. Listen, though they had seen my work, remember what these people saw. They saw, they saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the most powerful nation in the world drowned by the God who is a warrior. The one, the, the nation that was pursuing them to death, enslaving them, the oppressor, wiped out in a single afternoon. Their enemies judged. They saw God provide bread in the wilderness and water from a rock. They beheld these things, and yet they hardened their hearts. On this side of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the high priestly session of Christ, the, the outpouring of the Spirit, and the promised return of Christ, do not harden your hearts. That's the last thing. Pray for a soft heart that receives everything from the Lord's hand as a gift and receives his love as beloved children and seeks to live out of that secure status, that fatherly care, that family belonging, and the hope that is in Christ alone. As we come toward Advent, I want you to think on these things. Let this Advent really be a most reverent and worshipful Advent full of worship, lifting your, if you've never been accustomed to really lifting your heart, but rather just going through the motions in worship, let it be an opportunity for you to lift your heart to the Lord because he lifted his heart to you. That's what salvation tells us. Let these realities transform you into a worshiping, serving, faithful lover. God's out to produce lovers. And let the doctrine of his salvation transform you into a lover of God, of people, of faith, of hope, and of service. Amen? Let's pray.